This is Steph Lowe, and this is the Primal Alternative Podcast. You're listening to the Primal Alternative Podcast. Inspiration for your evolution. Steph Lowe is a mother, nutritionist, yogi, and founder of The Natural Nutritionist, a hub for celebrating the importance of real food, and author of Low-Carb, Healthy-Fat Nutrition. With a passion for spreading a positive message about real food and the incredible effect it has on performance, Steph launched The Natural Nutritionist in 2011 and is on a mission to inspire others to make health a priority in their lives. Along with running The Natural Nutritionist, Steph hosts the podcast Health happiness and humankind on the wellness couch, is the resident nutritionist for Melrose Health and has an online 12-week online program, LCHF Endurance. To book a consultation with Steph or to find out more about The Natural Nutritionist, you can check out www.thenaturalnutritionist.com.au. You can also follow Steph on Facebook and Instagram, at the natural nutritionist. Now I've had Steph on the show previously, a couple of years ago, it was PAP 45. And we talked a lot then about low carb, healthy fats and fasting. But since then, Steph has become a mummy and has become very focused and sharing her expertise on preconception care. So we're going to have a beautiful conversation today about preconception care. If you are thinking about having your first baby, or maybe you're on to two, three, four, five, six, however many you want to have, there's some great advice in here. And advice that I bloody well wish I'd had 14 years ago when I was thinking about starting a family. Um, Because a lot of the information that I received in my um, preconception time has been completely debunked by Steph. Stuff around, you know, um, listeria, stuff around vitamin A, stuff around folic acid, just some really basics that we really need to know. And even if you're like long gone past your preconception stages like me (laughs) and thinking more about menopause than preconception, then that's totally cool because we all know people who are thinking about having um, started a family or having a baby. And this is a beautiful resource to point them to um, just with some really awesome, really doable, uh, actionable tips around having a really gentle detox, optimizing gut health, um, eating a real nutrient-dense diet, and also some specific lifestyle um, things that you can do just to help with the whole process. So I hope you're going to love the show. Now, I know that um, we had a beautiful conversation, not just about preconception, but also Steph shares her birthing story. I am very um, pro-positive birth stories. Like if anyone's got a positive birth story, I think it needs to be shared in the world because there are so many horror stories out there. And it's almost like nobody, nobody's telling the good stories about when things can go beautiful. So I got, share, I, got, I got Steph to kind of share her story 
a bit off the hoof. She didn't know she was going to talk about it, but listen to how she lights up when she talks about the beautiful, empowering birth of her daughter, Grace. Such a gorgeous story. Um, We also talk about how life changes as you become a mother. It's a period of time called matrescence, where it's like adolescence. It's actually a phase of life. Go back and check out the podcast I did with Amy Taylor-Kabatz on matrescence and returning to the feminine. Um, It's actually a period of time where your whole focus changes from it being just about you to a more community focus. And that's not just because you're becoming a better citizen, but it's because your baby is going out into the community. And that's why you have so much more of a focus on community and everything can change, right? That corporate job that used to light you up and you used to love earning mega bucks with suddenly doesn't hold its appeal anymore. And neither do all the funky hip places to hang out in the city. And you want to take a sea change or a tree change and move to the country like we did and like Steph's planning to do. She's got a um, planning to move to Tasmania, which is hugely exciting. And so there's a lot of change can happen, right? Not just having a baby and becoming a mother, but your whole life changes and what you want from it. And that's why I created the Primalist License. Oh, did you like that segue? Mm, Boom. (laughs) So if you haven't heard of Primal Alternative before, and if you're, you're coming in from Steph's audience, hello, I'm the founder of Primal Alternative, and I created a business model initially for mums, but we also have a lot of empty nesters um, and women without kids who just love real food and are health enthusiasts and want to run their own home-based business, supplying the primal alternative food products to their communities. So primalists bake and then supply the primal alternative range to local businesses. So think places like health food stores, nutritionists, gyms, cafes, schools, supermarkets, You'll also find Primalistas at farmers markets and supplying products directly to the public as well. Now, in September 2020, this little humble business model exploded and doubled. Um, So the new business model is that we have the bakery. So we've got the ready-made breads, pizzas, wraps, pastries, and cookies. Super proud to um, collaborate with Chef Pete Evans, for our no-nut hemp wraps, no-nut hemp bread, and no-nut hemp granola. Now, Pete is just a really good big brother to the Primal Alternative brand. He gets absolutely no revenue from the collaboration. Um, He simply shares this grassroots business with his huge celebrity audience. And all of the royalties that he receives, which is a dollar a product, so the bulk of the, the, the profit goes to your local producer. But that dollar that Pete earns, he donates to charity. So he's a pretty awesome bloke and we're very grateful to have such a celebrity help us get the word out there. And um, yeah, if you've come across us through Pete, then hello. So we've got the bakery, which is how the brand started. We then have also got packet mixes so our customers can create their own uh, primal alternative products at home or it can also means we can send overseas, we can reach really remote and rural areas with real food, which is so exciting. And then in September 2020, 
we launched our granola and I can't wait for Steph to check out our granola and see what she thinks because the no nut hemp granola in particular is so unique because it doesn't it's not just a mouthful of nuts <laughs> which is what most paleo granolas are let's face it it's made completely with seeds and the seeds are coated in an amazing hemp butter it's so good lovely little bitey clusters it's my absolute favorite and then on September the 15th, we launched our whole foods part of the business, which basically means primalistas buy bulk ingredients like almond meal, hemp seeds, chia seeds with their buying power of buying in bulk. And then they pass on that discount to you with obviously a little bit of a margin for them for doing it, but essentially bringing whole food staples to you in a much more convenient and cheaper way than if you had to go out and do it yourself. How exciting is that? So this whole new model just makes it easier to get council approval. It makes it easier to produce, easier to get started and easier to make sales in your brand new home-based business that you can work around your family. So if, you know, perhaps becoming a mother has made you think, gosh, you know, I wish I'd built my own brand before I got pregnant, a bit like Steph did, uh, but you didn't do it and you just don't have the energy or the inclination to, you know, reinvent the wheel and start from scratch, then I'd really love you to check out the Primalist license and you can do that at primalalternative.com. Let's get on with the chat with Steph. Steph, it's so cool to have you back on the show again. It was episode 45. Can you believe it's been like another 45 episodes since you've um, been on the show? So we're long overdue a catch up. So just give us a bit of an update on what's been happening. It was, I think it was 2018. I know you've had a bit of a large um, change in your <laughs> life since then. <laughs> Yeah, well, in that time, I've become a mother. So Grace is now 18 months old, which is actually crazy to say. Um, you know, when before I became a mother, everyone would say to you, you know, really enjoy the moments, they go really quickly. And I was like, what are they talking about? But now <laughs> I can really see, you know, why that is such a common thread. Um, so it's been a really interesting time for me, you know, going through my own preconception journey, having a natural birth at home that was intervention free. And then, you know, having one year of breastfeeding and I've learned so much and I've really been able to share my learnings with my audience. So I feel like since I've become a mother, naturally I've got a lot more mums following me. And I just think that's so empowering because there isn't enough talk about the importance of certain foods, of the microbiome, of even the right prenatal, you know, down to the very basics. So this is a topic that I love discussing. So thank you so much for having me back on the show today. It's so cool. And like I was saying just before we hit record, I so wish that I knew this information that we're going to share today 14 years ago when I was, you know, thinking about starting a family and, and getting pregnant because there really wasn't any information out there. I feel really lucky to have found the book by um, Francesca Nash. And who's the other one? The Francesca Nash. And there's two of them. They write these beautiful uh, preconception books. And I remember reading them in the bath when I, when I was thinking about getting pregnant. And so much of what they said 
felt so out there in terms of they were talking about reducing sugars and reducing grains and eliminating caffeine and alcohol. And really, apart from that and a few fish oils, that was about the level of um, preconception care or advice or education that I had. Um, oh, I think I took some folic acid as well. Um, that was it. And um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty basic. And then, you know, throughout that whole period of, you know, being pregnant, having babies, getting up in the night, it was a real slow um, decline for me. And they were about five, five or six years old when I had a huge health crisis. And when I look back, I can see all the signs that really presented during pregnancy, like incredible constipation absolutely terrible heartburn and it used to just get laughed off and people would say oh you're gonna have a baby with a full head of hair if you're getting if you've got Mm -hmm. heartburn when you're pregnant right but you know this was the kind of heartburn that you couldn't lie on your back at night because a bile would rise up in your throat it was purely disgusting and I just thought that that was just the, the hard yards of pregnancy but it doesn't have to be that way does it so Tell us where would we start? What would be the first step to start if we were thinking about becoming pregnant? Yeah, so I think firstly it's important to talk about the timeline because in an ideal scenario, you'd want to be starting about six months prior, but that doesn't mean for anyone who's listening that wants to get pregnant sooner needs to worry. There's a lot that can be done as long as you've got a little bit of time up your sleeve. And even if you're newly pregnant, there's still so much you can do. So I definitely don't want anyone to be concerned that they might not have that six months but I do think that it's an important conversation to have because truthfully, a lot of women only go and see their doctor maybe in the in the weeks or months prior and get told to take folic acid. And we'll come back to that in our conversation today when really the bigger conversation about the microbiome, in my opinion, is, is where we need to start. And the reasons, you know, I know you talk about gut health all the time on the show, Helen, but if we think about it as a mother, you know, we really need to create an optimal microbiome in ourselves before we fall pregnant, but also during our pregnancy, because if we have a natural birth, we're going to pass our microbiome onto our baby when the baby passes through the birth canal. And if we have a cesarean birth, then we're going to pass our microbiome onto our baby the moment we start breastfeeding. So this is, you know, this is really important. This is more than just folic acid. And certainly if we do start six months earlier and we have a stool test that gives us that beautiful understanding of what our ecosystem looks like, what our microbiome looks like, and there's an imbalance, then it's quite easy to treat when you're not pregnant, but it's much harder to treat when you are pregnant because even specific herbs can't be used. And naturally, not a lot is studied on pregnant women because that would be unethical, right? And no pregnant woman is going to put their hand up to volunteer to be tested on something that's unknown and not scientifically proven. So the reason why we try to start six months earlier is just, I'll use one example. Let's say if you have a candida overgrowth and you want to treat that with herbs, well, you can do that in one to three months with the right practitioner But like I said, there's definitely lots of ingredients that you wouldn't be able to use if you were already pregnant. So time is of the essence in this example. 
That's perfect. So in terms of um, the food that we should be eating, is there uh, any kind of uh, guidelines that you can give us in general if we're thinking about becoming pregnant? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is about understanding what nutrients that we need, not what foods we need to avoid. Now, some of what I share is going to be pretty mind-blowing to some people, but I do encourage you to check out the resource Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols because a lot of what we're told when we're, when we're pregnant is certainly about just avoiding certain foods. So, you know, for example, avoid runny eggs, avoid organ meats, um, avoid smoked salmon, and the list goes on. But a lot of the research around some of these recommendations isn't actually what our concerns need to be when we're talking about high quality. So what I mean by that is if we're buying really high quality eggs and the highest quality wild caught smoked salmon, then the risk of us getting like a listeria or a bacterial infection is almost none. Now, everyone needs to decide if that's their own decision. I'm not forcing a decision on anyone, but I don't understand why we're telling people to avoid any runny egg and any smoked salmon and we're demonizing organ meats when the science doesn't support that that information and so then we have to look at what you know what a mother really needs well one of the biggest ones that we certainly need preconception and early days so from con- conception to trimester 1 is DHA, which is our omega-3, that is really beneficial for brain and spinal cord development, which we know occurs very early on in pregnancy. DHA comes largely from fish. There are vegan-based or you know, algae alternatives if we wanted to supplement, but we really need to be encouraging women to be eating a lot of fish. But, of course, then the whole quality conversation comes in and Australia, it's quite difficult to, to source wild-caught salmon And so, you know, we might look at some DHA supplementation, which we can come back to, but to stay on the topic of food, I think, you know, DHA is really important. And I personally eat smoked salmon in pregnancy, but I literally only buy one brand, which is from Harris Farm and it's wild caught, not the, um, not the Australian version, which is still farmed. Secondly, I think iron is really important because iron deficiency in pregnancy is so prevalent because by about halfway, so about 20 weeks, we we start to get this significant hemodilution, which um, depletes our stores. And we're then also sharing our stores with a developing baby. And so most people get really deficient and almost, you know, need an iron infusion in the late stages of pregnancy when that could be avoided if we know what to eat. Now, of course, there are plant-based sources of iron like spinach, but that's called non-heme iron. And it actually does, truthfully, have a relatively low absorption compared to things like grass-fed beef or lamb or organ meats. You know, an example could be liver pate. But I really want to talk about the organ meat conversation because it's really wrapped up in that whole vitamin A and pregnancy myth. Mm. So, you know, what we know from the research is that high doses of synthetic vitamin A is problematic for, for women in pregnancy. So, yes, we absolutely have to avoid high doses of synthetic vitamin A. And so that's why we check all of our supplements. It's why you'll never see vitamin A in a prenatal in Australia. 
But what's happened is that people have then taken that research to mean that all vitamin A is dangerous, therefore organ meats are dangerous, therefore do not eat liver pate in pregnancy. And it's a huge fallacy. There is nothing wrong. There is no clinical data. There is no high-level research that shows that natural forms of vitamin A are any risk in pregnancy. Now, again, this is what blows people's minds because they've been told to avoid these foods. So, you know, I'm happy to share the research, but we just need to make sure that we're not looking at synthetic vitamin A. And I actually think organ meats are the original superfood, you know, way before chia seeds, goji berries, and whatever we see being sold in in the space these days. Organ meats are the original superfood. And if we go back to the famous Michael Pollan saying, like, don't eat anything that your great-grandmother wouldn't have eaten, or maybe it's your grandmother, but depends on what age you are. My point is, is, you know, whole foods are always going to be the best source of nutrition and we need a lot of iron in pregnancy. So like I encourage um, wild-caught wild caught oily fish, I also encourage grass-fed beef, beef and lamb and really good quality organ meats um, such as liver pate. Delicious. Yeah, I'm so glad I listened to my <laughs> midwife because I had a home birth, a natural home birth with no intervention, same as you. I definitely want you to share your birthing story with us because I think um, we'll do that in a minute. But I think that um, there's so much, you know, on films and in the media about, you know, birth being this really traumatic experience and I, and I love to share a positive story whenever mm. possible and I'm my midwife just said oh hysteria hysteria <laughs> <laughs> oh that's the best I'm going to use that that's a good one you can use that one that can be a new hashtag if you like Steph. <laughs> but um yeah my my midwife was just exactly like you if you could just imagine your perfect grandma she had big boobs she had glasses on the end of her nose and as soon as I met her um, at 23 weeks pregnant when I realized I was terrified about having a hospital birth. Um, I literally started crying. You know, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, thank God, thank God for oh, you. I do know. I know that feeling very well. Such a beautiful um, relationship between mother and midwife compared to, um, yeah, I just had no, none of that sort of sense of safety and protection and, yeah, I don't know, kind of a sisterhood thing. Um, than I did with my midwife. She's amazing. Mary Murphy, love her so much. Oh, what an amazing experience. Okay, so let's wrap up the preconception because you've given us some really awesome information. Thank you for debunking the listeria thing and also the vitamin A thing. That is very interesting to know and makes so much sense. But what about if we're wanting to kind of um, detox um, some foods and drinks and stuff out of our diet in that preconception stage. So obviously we all know it's a good idea to take a break from alcohol. What about caffeine and things like that? Are we still okay to have a bit of coffee if we're trying to get pregnant? Yeah, it's a good question. So if we look at the timeline to sort of answer that question, so ideally six months out, we're doing microbiome testing and starting to really work on our microbiome. And then about three months prior is where we want to do a nice um, comprehensive blood test. So we make sure that we haven't got any deficiencies like iron already or B12 or vitamin D or iodine. We need to check in with our thyroid um, and testing for MTHFR determines what sort of prenatal you take. But then, yeah, I agree with you. Once we've got that baseline, 
we then need to have a look at what else could be potentially problematic. So I recommend that my clients, my ladies, come off alcohol three months prior. And a lot of people have said to me in the past about this, oh, you know, why would you want, why would you want to quit alcohol earlier? There's already 10 months where you can't drink it. Like, are you crazy? <laughs> and I always just, you know, kind of politely smile to that kind of statement. I'm not really into alcohol. I've, I've gotten it out of my system in my 20s and um, I would prefer not to drink it all these days. But I think it is really important that we set up these habits and three months prior gives us that opportunity to start that detoxification process rather than impairing it with like getting the boozing out of our system like some people do in the lead up to conception. Um, Caffeine's an interesting one. Like (laughs) caffeine's an interesting one. Like if you talk to any TCM, so anyone that practices Chinese medicine, they're quite anti-caffeine for a preconception phase. I personally think it's really individual. I myself only drink decaf and that's to look after my nervous system and it's just certainly a habit I've formed over many years and I know some people would spit their coffee out rather than drink decaf (laughs) and I'm okay with that. But I think more than one a day does need to be examined for lots of reasons, including why you're requiring requiring artificial energy Um, and because it you know, the recommendations in pregnancy is that one caffeine is enough, one coffee rather is enough. So we want to set up those habits prior to conception. And then we need to look at what toxins we're exposed to. You know, I've shared online about my Botox journey. Um, So I've certainly had Botox before and before Grace, I stopped for three months prior And um, I haven't had any in a number of months now because we're about to um, start to plan for baby number two. That's obviously a breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking news. No, I've shared that online. (laughs) It's all over Instagram anyway. but then there's, you know, not everyone's into Botox. There's also chemicals like BPA that we find in our commercial beauty regime, our hygiene products, takeaway coffee cup lids. And um, I also love to really just look at what is our what's on our food. There's been a really important conversation around glyphosate this year more than ever with some of the court cases in the US and certainly the awareness that many countries are moving toward banning Roundup in the more um, in the coming years rather. But you know, where possible, we should be buying organic food or organic fruit and veggies to avoid foods that are sprayed with glyphosate which is a toxin it's horrific and you know it's it's everywhere in our food supply it's in our water it's in our air so we actually can't avoid it but we can definitely make some really great choices as to what companies we support and and you know voting with our dollar essentially as to where we buy our fruit and veggies from and Steph do you have a bit of a hierarchy in terms of if you were wanting to prioritize the best uh, place to spend your money when it comes to trying to get spray-free organic food. Do you have a bit of a hierarchy as to where you, what you should really focus on most? Like, is it better to get organic beef over organic strawberries? Do you have a, a mm. some kind of guidelines like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the protein that we're buying is a real priority. So moving away from supporting big chain supermarkets and sourcing from either a butcher or even better, a local farm where you know it is 
literally grass-fed and grass-finished because there's, of course, that loophole in the labelling. So even though coals say grass-fed, that animal could literally have been fed for gra- on grass for one day of its life. Mm. It's ridiculous, right? Whereas if you're shopping straight from a farm or buying straight from a farm, you can get to know your butcher and or your farmer rather, you can get to know your farmer and really truthfully understand the quality of what you and your family are consuming, but then supporting small business. Like that's nothing more important than that. Uh, When it comes to fruit and veggies, we tend to think about the fruits that don't have an outside protective covering. So strawberries are an example where we would try and buy organic if possible, because obviously you eat the whole strawberry. There's no skin that you throw away versus avocados where they have that protective covering they're obviously more protected more protected so that would be a lower priority what we need to do is look at what we eat the most so everyone's got their favorite fruits and veg so look at what you eat every day that doesn't have an outside protective layer and start to see how you can buy those foods organic and don't do it from the supermarket because that'll, you know, blow a hole in the back pocket. But look for ways that you can do it, which is more challenging now with the pandemic, of course. But we get an organic box every week. Um, of course, there are many online suppliers of that. Or depending on where you live, I think markets like farmers markets are just the most lovely and affordable way to be sourcing the food that we eat. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that with the current pandemic, it's in in some ways has made it harder, but in other ways has been that kind of light at the end of the tunnel of being able to get out and connect with people in your community, connect with people who are like-minded, who share the same kind of values and has been more important than ever. I know I'm really enjoying, like, you know, going to get the um, spray-free veggies on a Sunday at the community markets used to be a bit of a, oh, and that's another thing we've got to do. And it was always lovely when you got down there. But now it's a family day out. We all, we all mm. go down there and, you know, there's always yummy food and, and coffees and we make a bit of a thing of it. And I'm like, this is the most fun social immersion when there's less socialising going on, you know. So it's um, it's um it can be like a, a double double whammy of, of awesomeness now, which is really mm. cool. It's so cool. So is there anything else we can be doing? We've, we've covered, you know, blood testing, gut health, detoxing. Uh, we've talked a little bit about prenatals and focusing on nutrient-dense food. Is there anything else we can be doing lifestyle-wise, Steph, to help us in that preconception stage? Well, I don't know about lifestyle, definitely, but there's a couple of things that we haven't touched on yet. Like certainly just to continue the the gut health conversation a little bit more because testing is not something that someone, not necessarily something that everybody does, um, but certainly looking after our biome is really important. So that's why we talk about the kind of food that we should be eating, um, but also encouraging people to be drinking bone broth if they're not already that's obviously going to strengthen your gut integrity but allow you to get more out of the food that you eat because it's going to enhance your absorption so i think that's a really important habit to be putting in in the early stages like preconception and then about three months prior again is where you want to look for a prenatal so if we go back to what i said before about some of the blood testing one of the tests that i like to get is for 
MTHFR, which is one of the genes that controls methylation, but it also determines your tolerance for types of folate. And so in Australia, at least, most of the conventional um, prenatals contain folic acid, salivate, blackmores, et cetera. And folic acid is quite synthetic and relatively poorly absorbed by almost the majority, plus in people that have a specific MTHFR polymorphism, folic acid can actually build up and be dangerous to the developing fetus. It actually has been implicated with miscarriages. So we really want to be mindful that firstly, I mean, no one should be taking folic acid. There are much more available forms, including folinic acid and methylfolate. Um, and I recommend brands that include those types of folate, but also, you know, a prenatal like the Eagle Tressos natal, which gives us lots of other cofactors and nutrients that can help really boost our supplies because pregnancy can be a lovely experience. Like I've never felt better, but definitely when I was breastfeeding, there were times where I was feeling quite depleted and um, I eat well and I didn't have any aversions or any um, any morning sickness. I had to say that out loud because people want to punch me. But, you know, I ate really well throughout pregnancy and I still felt depleted. Um, and I was taking a prenatal throughout my nursing journey. So you know, we have to acknowledge the significance of what growing a life is and just give us the best chance because, you know, becoming a new mum for the first time is probably the most challenging thing I've done. And I think it's really important to nourish our body and finding the right prenatal that we can take to support our nursing journey as well is an important part of that. Yeah, no, absolutely beautiful. I so agree. And I love, <laughs> I'm laughing what you said about, you know, I didn't get any morning sickness and you don't want to say that out loud because it's going to punch <laughs> no. you in the face. But it's true. Like you, you, you can have pregnancies where you've never feel better, never felt better. You can not have morning sickness. You can have you know, relatively um, straightforward. I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful transitional experience going from the maiden to the mother, right, during, during a birth. Would you be happy to share your birthing experience with us, Steph? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I am, I realise how fortunate I am because I know a lot of people aren't, um, don't get their ideal birth for whatever reasons. Um, but... So I was a bit slow to make my decision only because I don't have a local doctor, right? I don't go to a doctor. So, of course, when I found out I was pregnant, I just went to the closest doctor's clinic to organise some blood tests and they happened to um, co-share with Sandringham, which is close to where I live. And I had heard some really good things about Sandringham. Um, so I thought, okay, I'd go and check out the local hospital. And the moment I walked in, with all due respect, it just didn't feel right. There were bright lights. There were sanitizations everywhere. It was very clinical. Obviously, it's a hospital. But for me, it was that epiphany where I was like, this actually feels like a problem for me. This doesn't feel like a natural, normal part of life mm. <laughs> and you know from what I've I've read I did a lot of research around the different models and certainly how different it is in the UK where it's very mid midwife focused and much more low intervention than Australia and um, one of the best books I've ever read is Birth with Confidence by Raya Dempsey and I highly recommend it to everybody because 
that was my light bulb moment where I realized that I actually didn't need a hospital and that I was going to have a home birth. Now, I am fortunate that I'm married to a chiropractor who's pretty open with home births and actually used to work um, his mentor when he first started practicing as a chiro is um, Jennifer Floriani, Jennifer and Simon Floriani, and Jennifer wrote Well-Adjusted Babies. Mm. And so my husband was very supportive of my decision. Um, So I didn't have any backlash. It took me a long time to tell my mother and my sister because I do come from quite a conventional family. And um, I guess um, the fortunate thing was I told my mum when my auntie was in the room and her mother-in-law is had had all these really amazing home births, no problems, you know, no interventions, and she was in the conversation and it really supported my position. So it, it went really well, but it wasn't easy and I can appreciate that a lot of other people, a lot of other mothers-to-be probably have a lot of noise by people that have either had their own experience or that have their own views on birth. And it's the, probably the biggest thing I did was drown out that noise, you know, was learn to listen in and um, truly decide what was right for me and Grace, who I didn't know was Grace at the time. <laughs> so I worked with Mama. So Jan, um, oh, my goodness, her last name has escaped me at the minute. I'll come back to it. But Mama is a very well-known um birthing center and they're based in Flemington, but they do happen to have an arm in Hampton, which is again, just down the road to me from me. And um, I was lucky that as I was past 20 weeks, I had to start to get a move along, but um, Ian's boss, Damien Christoph, who, you know, Mm -hmm. got me in, he got me in with Jan basically. So it's not about what you know, it's who you know, right? (laughs) So I met Jan and I was like you when you met your midwife. I was like, this is the woman. She's she's literally 70. She's birthed, I think, more than 5,000 home births. Wow. And she was the person I was looking for. And, you know, it was just incredible to, to that she was down the road the whole time, right? Um, mm. And I've since met lots of women who have birthed with Jan and I have my own incredible mother's group that are all home birth mamas. Um and, you know, it's a thing now with people starting to move away from purely Western medicine. Anyway, I know I'm carrying on a little bit. Um, it is a oh, long you're story. talking so passionately about it and I'm just sat here with a big smile <laughs> on my face living it, so keep going. <laughs> um, so the other crazy thing is that literally, so my due date was the 11th of March and I went to bed on the 10th of March and I woke up at 11.45 and felt this flooding of water in the bed, managed to run <laughs> into the ensuite, and I'm standing over the tiles having a Hollywood moment, water's breaking everywhere. <laughs> I said to Ian, what's the time? And he was like 11.50 something. And it was like 10 minutes before my due date. It was all happening, you know, quite severely looking back. <laughs> but my waters broke around, you know, the minute it, it became, um, well, let's say 15 minutes before the 12th of March. And then nothing really happened until about 8 a.m. So I think I laid in bed and didn't sleep and watched trashy TV trying to distract myself. I remember texting Jan at about 6 or 7 a.m. when it was more reasonable to tell her to make her move because she has to drive over an hour. 
Um, but because everything was fine, I sent her to a local cafe to have breakfast. So I remember her sending me this photo of her coffee and her breakfast and she's kicking back having a meal and I'm at home laboring <laughs> and she rocks up at like eight 20 and um, the show was on the road. I just didn't know it. <laughs> It's like, I don't really know what I'm expecting. Yeah, Yeah. I know. And I'm rolling around in bed and she said to me, you do know you're doing it the hard way. You do know that lying down is the worst thing to do. Mm. And I, of course, I know this. I did, you know, I had done hypnobirthing. I knew all of this and I got up and it was like game on. And I sat on my Fitball in my ensuite by myself. I didn't want any hypnobirthing massages. I didn't want any of the sugar-free icy poles that I'd made for myself. I just, <laughs> it was just me and that Fitball gripping onto the ensuite bathroom sink. And four hours later, they put me on the bed on my hands and knees and, and Grace was born. I wanted a water birth, but we didn't get there because it actually all happened quite quickly for a first birth. Yeah, but it was incredible. Like it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was the most amazing thing ever. Wow! Oh, I've got goosebumps and tingles <laughs> everywhere. What an amazing it story! It's so it's so beautiful. And I know um, when in my second birth with Millie, um, I had no idea I was in birth. I was in labour either. I was just like kind of in denial and I could hear my <laughs> husband because he was working an hour and a half away at the time. And I said, I just, and it was Millie's due date as well. And I was like, I'm not going to have her on a due date, obviously. So she's not going to mm. on a due date. It's not going to happen today. But I just feel like I don't want you to go to work. I just feel like I want you to stay home. So he's ringing all his colleagues saying, oh, H is in labour. And I was like, don't tell him I'm in labour because I like to keep it really secret, you know. I'm like, I'm not in labour. And then um, my midwife called me to give me some results of a, a strep test, I think it was. And um, she said I was like really spaced out on the phone. And so she said, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to your house. I was like, no, don't come. No, it's, you know, it's rush hour. It's school, uh, school pickup, drop off. Like, don't, don't come now. She goes, I'm coming. And when she came, <laughs> I was in the shower in transition. And um, mm. she was saying to me, can I do anything to help you? And I was like, I want to get in the pool. But Mike, my husband, is fucking around. <laughs> In the pool, and you know, when you get into that oh, real transition, that real yeah. anger, anger moment, and she was like, "Come on, then, let's get you in the pool." And so I was in this, this um, pool while they were filling it up with, <laughs> with water, labouring. I mean, Millie came the second time round. She came round in ninety minutes. I went into yeah. shock after I'd had her because I was like shaking because it had happened so quickly. But a yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad well. I don't have to do it again. But yeah, as you say, just. <laughs> And amazing, it really felt it really felt like to me like a rite of passage, you know, mm. allowing all yeah. of those feelings to come through. Um, and also the, the bonding part was so much more. I was like on cloud nine after the births, you know, like I was just like yeah. everything's so amazing and everything's more. But we beautiful. sat in bed together as a family for yeah. hours, you know, there was no bright lights. There was just us while, of course, the midwives were doing their measurements and scores and things like that. But when I sat there, I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm not home. I'm in my own bed. I'm just yeah. kicking back, like, you know, just bonding and, and nursing and, yeah, I just wish everyone had that experience, truthfully. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I think the more that it's spoken about, the more people will see there's an alternative mm. alternative way to do it. But I, I was the same as you. I was 23 weeks when I decided I wanted a home birth and I thought I was going to get the worst midwife ever because everyone would be booked up, but I got the Rolls Royce. It's, it's wonderful how, how it all works out. It's so, so wonderful. So obviously you've had a big change, you know, in your life with, with little Gracie coming along 18 months ago and you've got this incredible global business, which has then of course been affected by the global pandemic over the last, you know, um, six to seven months. I'd love to just dive into a little bit of a behind the scenes of Steph Lowe. How does she juggle it all with a baby, a business, lockdown? How do you make it work? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't do it by myself. I um, I often make the joke that it's possible because I married a chiropractor. <laughs> Um, they work really different hours. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of mamas, um, not a lot, but you know, some mamas are of course, um, alone by themselves most of the day while their husband goes off to work more corporate hours, but you know, Ian might work from seven till 11 and then again in the afternoon from two thirty till seven, there are days where, where he only does one of those shifts and there are days that he, he doesn't work. Right. So it is, it's very 50, 50 in our household as a function of both of us working for ourselves and having quite different hours to the convention. But I guess, um, you know, the other part is, is we have decided to get a nanny because I, well, obviously it's COVID anyway, but it just makes it really easy for us to be able to juggle, like you said, because on a Wednesday afternoon, for example, I had the nanny from two till six, so I can just get a heap of work done during that time. And then when I finish, you know, Grace is ready for her bath and um, we get to spend an hour together before she goes to bed. But I probably would have spent a lot of the morning with her on a Wednesday as well. So it is a really nice balance. Um, What I think was really important for me is I worked my tail off before I became a mother. And if I look back, you know, there were a lot of sacrifices that I don't feel in a negative sense, but I I didn't, um, you know, I certainly haven't bought a house and I haven't done a heap of overseas travel because I spent a long time building my business to the point where now I don't need to work full-time hours. You know, I physically see clients or virtually see clients for, um, let's say, um, 16 hours a week. And then I've got, you know, a handful of students I mentor and the rest can be done at any time of the day, you know, podcasting, writing articles, researching. So some nights I do work from seven till nine when Grace goes to bed, or I might get up early and work from five till seven, or I might work on a Saturday afternoon from two to six when Ian's at home. So it's just, that it's being okay with that flexibility, but it's certainly having the right support because um, I'm busier than ever during the pandemic. And I think that's incredible that people are really using this time to get healthy, but I definitely couldn't do it on my own. So I'm very aware that I'm quite privileged in that regard. So you've mentioned a nanny as a kind of uh, the support that you have. What other support do you have in terms of, do you have any help with cooking, with cleaning, with um, with your business? Do you do everything in your business or do you outsource certain things to, mm. you know, photographers, bookkeepers, you know, PR, marketing people, or, or do you do everything? I definitely don't do everything. <laughs> 
Thank God. <laughs> so in the you know, in the business, so the actual clinic is run by my practice manager Elise, who is my backbone. Like, so she runs the whole the whole clinic, and she's doing most of that virtually at the moment. But that's literally everything from like the inbox to the to the scheduling, to the supplements, to the blog. Like she, well, she helps me with the blog. She also takes our food photography and she's an incredible creative um, recipe developer and food photographer as well. Like she's very gifted, this girl. Handy. So she's essentially on a, pardon me? Very handy. <laughs> I yeah. can do with, a, with, with an Elise. Yeah, she sounds good. <laughs> yes, I know. She's never leaving me, no. <laughs> um, and then I have another couple of practitioners that work for me that see the other clients that, um, you know, it might have been people that couldn't get in to see me, but certainly their own audience as well, which is beautiful to watch them grow in that regard. Um, I have, I have, I work with the Digital Picnic for my social media, so they run that for me. Um, I have an accountant, <laughs> so I'm actually the king of outsourcing. Like truthfully, I do what only Steph can do. You know, only I can interview for the podcast, for example, as you would know, Helen. It can't be someone else's voice. You know, only I can see these certain clients. I outsource a lot. I think that's um, been a really important um, decision that I made for growth, like for scaling the business as well. Mm. Um, around the home, we have a cleaner. I don't get any help with cooking. We don't have any family support because my family are in Townsville and Ian's are in Tasmania. But um, I guess that's the other reason for the nanny, right? Because there's no mm. grandmas or no grandmas. grandfathers around the corner. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. And I really think that focusing on what I would call your zone of genius, doing the things only Steph can do, really is the the key to success because you can do more of what you find easy. You don't need to motivate yourself to do it because you just love it so much. And then you can outsource the rest. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. And I also love how you're so flexible. I think a lot of us who are working from home, we kind of beat ourselves up if we need to do something on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, sorry. Oh, I just need to, you know, my husband and I both work for ourselves as well. And we we apologize to each other all the time. Oh, really sorry. I've just got to ring this client. And it's just like, just do what you got to do. I think that, you know, the nine to five um, bricks and mortar reality is long gone. And I think that it takes a lot to kind of shake that, doesn't it? And think it's all right to work till nine o'clock tonight if that's what needs to be done to get it done. I think so. Because some, some days I don't start work till 12, like some on Thursday mornings, I mean, Grace probably goes down for a nap at 11, so I might start by about 11 and then I'm with clients from 12 till 6. But how nice is that, that I then get the whole morning with her and I work for seven hours and then I get to see her again for an hour and then if I'm up for it, I might do one more hour when she's in bed. Like I just think that's so incredible to be able to work that around Grace. Otherwise, I'd barely see her and that would be worse. Yes. No, I love it. I really love to see women who are creating a business around what's important to them, whether it's their ch- whether it's their kids or their grown-up kids or their aged parents or their Pilates class and their mental health, <laughs> seeing their friends. You know, I just, I love it. And this is a really good opportunity um, for us to, to think, oh, there's a different way of doing it. I don't need to go and work for somebody else. I can do my own thing. So thanks for being such a... Uh, inspirational example of what's possible as a as a young mom. So that's very cool. Good on you, yeah, Steph. Thank you. That's so <laughs> now, what have you got planned? What's what's coming up with Steph? I mean, you've already um, 
hinted at baby number two is in the, in the <laughs> pipeline, but what else is happening uh, for you in the future? What have you got planned? Well, what, what's crazy is that we're actually moving to Tasmania. Wow. So, yeah. So move. I'm keeping my Melbourne. Yeah, it is. And part of it is because, you know, family, of course, the most important thing. So Grace is going to be around. She's got two great grandmothers and, um, you know, two of her grandmother and her one, one grandmother and one grandfather live there as well as lots of cousins that are all of similar ages. Um, but we also want to create a really different life for our little family. So, you know, Melbourne's been incredible for us, but we see a different, you know, short to medium future for our family. So I actually want to buy some land <laughs> and I want to be able to eat off the land and teach Grace how to do that. Um, and we've decided that, you know, Tasmania is going to be the place that we'll spend the next couple of years. But I also think, like, I made this decision in February um, of 2020 and I I really found it quite a hard decision to make because I love living in Melbourne. But being here in Victoria through 2020 and what's going on here, which is outside the scope of this conversation, it's really confirmed my decision that I do want to be living somewhere else and just creating that life, like, for Grace and baby number two. And um, we can always come back. The clinic will still be here and I'll come back monthly for face-to-face appointments and do everything else virtually. And um, I'm just really excited for a change of scenery and to be back in nature a little bit more as well. Oh, I love it. What an an amazing, what an amazing plan. And that's, it's exactly what we did exactly the same 10 years ago. You know, we just decided, you know, we're living in suburbia. Like I love Perth. It's been such an amazing city for both of us, but I just found that, um, yeah, suburbia, when you're actually living in suburbia 24 seven and you're not going out to work was really was really irritating me, like the noises mm. and mm. just really was craving stillness and solitude and silence. Like I've craved it all my life and I thought there was something wrong with me until I moved to a hundred acres of wilderness on the south coast of Western Australia and kind of went, oh. I didn't have adrenal fatigue. I was just irritated by the barking yeah, dogs next door. Out of sync though, you know, out of sync with out of sync. what is the best for you. And, mm. you know, Perth, like you said, like Perth served you so well and I feel that way about Melbourne. Like mm. it's been incredible to live here for 15 years and I can always come back. But I just know that um, that oh, the whole nature and, oh my God, like imagine Grace growing up around horses and a bit of land and her family and we have a house um, in Bridport that we go to, which is coastal, all the time for long weekends and Christmas and it's just it's just the it's just living you know I'm so mm. excited about it mm. it is it really is wonderful mm. to just be so much more closer to nature having you know veggie patch and chickens and having that access to yeah beaches and trees and forests and waterways and rivers and just being a, yeah in that community country community is such a nurturing space not just for the kids but also for the whole family so i was so excited and i can't wait to 
follow your journey and see how all that goes, mm. Steph. It's so exciting. Get my green thumb going. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Uh, that might be something you need to outsource as well, just quietly. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I started off so good, but my God, it's hard work. So um, I know. Well, my mother-in-law is an expert. So I'm hoping I can get some advice from someone who definitely knows what they're doing, which yeah. I do not yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just stick to the really easy things that grow, like leafy greens. And they're, they're mm-hmm. so nice just being able to go out into your veggie patch and get a whole armful of kale and silver beet and spinach. I mean, that stuff just grows so easy, especially in Tassie. But some of the truckier things, I'll leave those to the, um, to the growers and come buy them from them. It's a good good swap. (laughs) So cool. Steph, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing wisdom today around preconception care, around positive birth and creating an amazing life, um, doing what you love. Um, Like I said before, you're so inspirational. So thank you so much for being here. Is there any final message that you want to leave with our audience before we wrap up today? I just think it's so important to do what you love. Like, you know, that saying, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Like I've been so, I just think about it all the time. Like since I started the natural nutritionist, I've just had this overwhelming desire to like get out of bed every morning and make a difference. And it's been a huge part of health and my mental health journey as well. So I just love, like you said, about the nine to five model, how that's long gone. And it really is about creating our dream career and then our, our dream life. Like it's just, it's, we've only got one chance. So it's, I'm just so glad that you've got this platform so we can share this knowledge with everyone that tunes in. So thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. Thank you, Steph. If you want to learn how to create and sell nutritious, honest food, help more people, be part of a supportive community and start your own home business that's in alignment with your highest values, then the Primalista license is for you. Head over to primalalternative.com to find out how this works. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.